Right now we're in a very crucial time where, you know, obviously we're working together as a global family. Mm. And I want us to dare a little more. I want us to dare into getting more connected to the earth and grounded. I want us to dare to self-regulate so that we move ourselves out of stress into a feeling of being centered. I want us to dare to understand that we matter and every choice we make and don't make has impact on everyone else and that we start consciously getting excited about making those choices and how we get to contribute even if it's in the smallest way just purely by the state of being in which we carry ourselves. Today I'll be speaking with Dr. Saida Desale who I had the opportunity to spend time with in the African wilderness. I love Saida just as I am sure you will too. And I love her so much because she is the true embodiment of the work that she does. And that is to rediscover our true nature, to awaken our erotic innocence and the innate intelligence that resides within us. Her work involves guidance along the path of transformation and freedom. Saida, welcome to the Lionheart podcast. It is such an absolute honor to have you here. And here on this podcast, we explore the dynamics between health, spirituality, and the natural world. And I must say, you are a true embodiment of that dynamic. I watched you dancing this morning, Saida, and you are electric. Like, your energy. I just feel alive watching you. Thank you. (laughs) yes definitely it's an honor to be here jenny and to reconnect with you and i'm very very excited about what you're doing with this podcast thank you so much and i'm very excited about what you're doing with your group i've been watching your group thriving through challenging times and again it's really just getting out there with what's needed to help people that's why you're doing it isn't it absolutely i just woke up one morning literally i think 11 days ago when a lot of things started escalating and I went, you know what, I feel amazing and I have a duty. I have a duty to connect as many people to their center, for them to ground, for them to self-regulate and they don't all know how to do that and I think they're going to feel lonely so why don't I do a group and we meet every day, which is a big commitment for me. Mm. (laughs) But I'm really enjoying it and it's just this little burst once a day and we're almost 700 people in there right now and it's really amazing what's happening. It is. And I've seen the comments and I felt it myself. It's a real gift because you're giving practical tools, practical, simple daily tools that only take a few minutes, but make amazing changes, don't they? Absolutely. So I want to ask you, were you born like this? Like, were you born electric and exuberant? Did you come out of the womb? Like, did the doc- <laughs> with all this energy, did the doctor's fingers or midwife's fingers frizzle? Or did you have, like, some sort of life experience that kind of opened I would, up? Yeah, I would say both. I mean, I, I was born unusually. I, I was supposed to be born a lot earlier, so I was in the womb, I think, at least an extra month, if not longer. And so when I finally came out, before I was even out, I was already screaming. So I never needed to get hit. I mean, there was all interesting conditions happening for a hospital birth. There was no staff. So it was just my father and the doctor and that's it. So it was a very intimate connected birth where my father got to partake in a lot of it. So that was amazing. Mm. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that has made me love every moment of life was that when I was 20, 
so two and a half decades ago, I was told I had two weeks to live. And I remember that feeling looking out the hospital window down at normal people, you know, just walking on the street going, gosh, they don't know and they take it all for granted. And I, I've got two weeks, that's it. And I'm 20. So it was a big shock. Mortality was a big shock at that age. And when faced with that decision, do I let myself believe my doctor and die or do I rebel and live? Obviously, you know my choice. <laughs> <laughs> and it was then that every moment after that became gravy. And so I always remind myself if today was my last day, what would I be doing? Who would I be with, etc. And so I think that that's been a very instrumental influence in my life. And where does desire fit into all of this? I, I did watch your TED talk and I love the title. A lot of what you're saying there, there's, you actually say a lot in a short amount of time. And I have two questions here. The title, when you say desire beyond gender, you're yes. speaking of desire as in what I received from that beautiful talk was desire is life. Desire is being alive. Yes, you are on the right track. You got the talk. Fantastic. It's not that easy to compress these huge ideas into 10 minutes. Mm. So the naked truth of desire beyond gender desire that I had with that talk was to invite anyone who would listen to it into a new possibility, a new relationship, a new perspective on desire so that we could stop feeling like desire was the source of a lot of our suffering and start to consciously engage with our desire in such a way that we start co-creating our life really powerfully and we trust a lot more the ache or the yearning that we're feeling deep in our heart, deep in our bodies, and we pay attention to those and then we take that very courageous step forward toward those callings. So when you say beyond gender, the ache and the yearning, it's not a physical ache and yearning. It's bigger than that. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So beyond gender, it was important to say that meaning it's not assigned to either gender or any gender of any kind. Mm. And it's not just the realm of sexuality and physicality. Mm. That desire itself, what I propose is that it's one of our greatest, most misunderstood forces of nature. And if, if we can understand that desire has been around as long as existence itself then we and it's evolutionary so what say humanity desired 500 years ago 3000 years ago etc is very different than say even a year ago or yesterday so our desires are evolving and i really believe that there's what we feel called towards it's already moving towards us so it's this incredible relationship with that creative unknown and can you clarify then a little bit because even i sometimes recall perhaps reading somewhere or learning somewhere that desire is to be as if it's a bad thing it's to be set aside it, it distracts us from what matters this is you know it doesn't feel right to me as I, I say it but it certainly there is a perspective and you do touch on it in the talk yes can you give so, us a little sort of freedom in that one <laughs> yeah yeah no it's a great question Jenny and I mean let's just put it on the table a lot of different religions, let's say, believe that desire is something that connects us with sin or suffering or that, you know, bad things come if we pursue these desirous thoughts. So we have to step away from that for a moment and just kind of go eagle's eye view and understand there's multiple roles of desire. The first role of it is if you are thirsty, desire is a motivational force that will get you off your butt and get hydrated. If you're hungry, it's going to motivate you to 
to go get food. And in the days when we were reliant on hunting and gathering, we had to have strong motivation because <laughs> there were a lot of things that could eat us if we went out there. So we had to be very motivated and hunger is a deeply motivating force. Procreation was important for the continuation of humanity. So obviously sexual desire would have been very strong and almost overwhelming at times. So you can understand perhaps why certain groups of people would want to regulate that type of desire because it is a very powerful desire. But what I have found that's been the culprit is not the desire itself. It's two things. One, it's our social conditioning. It's how we are brought into relationship with our bodies, um, brought into relationship with pleasure, brought into relationship even perhaps, and I break this down, I wrote a book about this, so I break it, desire down into six categories. So it's not even all sexual. There's desire to be deeply in love. There's a desire to create a family. There's desire to contribute. There's desire to thrive, especially now. This is a very strong desire in many people. There's all kinds of these emergent desires. And the more we can understand that that's not what's bad about desire. Desire itself is kind of ambivalent. Where we go wrong is that I call it hijacked desire. It's a conditioning, a mandate, an ideal that shapes a, um, we have that deep desire to fall in love, but now we shape that desire under the mandates of how love should look like. And then we go for love in a particular style, how it shows up, but it's not real love and it's not really what we want. So we end up often very disappointed. I would say that would be the pursuit of a hijacked desire which then associates people with desire and suffering because it's like it's very painful to go through heartbreak and or be in a relationship that's not really for our highest good. But if we look at the original impulse of desire, the desire to be really met deeply in love, that is important. And that's part of a journey as a human being is to know what this is, this idea of love. And if we allow that to lead us, perhaps we would then pay more attention to how love shows up for us and to start recognizing it instead of making it, it's got to be six foot, two inches tall and have a certain income and drive a certain kind of car. So, so that's what I mean by exploring our desire a little more deeply, being friends with the true desire mm. and starting to actually map out when those true desires get hijacked and then making a choice to get back into the true aspect of that desire. Social conditioning and cultural conditioning are fairly tight in some, some ways. How do you move beyond that? How do you see a hijacked desire as opposed to a, the life force that is the truth? How do we jump? I would say the very first step is to admit that we yearn for something. That's mm -hmm. it. Just even if it's all you can do is whisper it to your own, yourself like, wow. I'd really love that or I really want that. And then we sit with it. So an exercise that I often do if I have a desire that suddenly strikes me, <laughs> it's like, whoa, <laughs> what's that? I will actually sit with it and admit it to myself. And then I sit with it and act as though it's already here. And then I notice, how do I feel? Mm. And sometimes that's actually enough to create enough of the feeling of fulfillment that I don't even need to, quote unquote, pursue it. And sometimes it's enough where it's so true and I don't know how in the world I'm going to even fulfill that, but mm -hmm. 
but it's so true that I become familiar with how it would feel when it's realized mm. in that meditation. And then that's what leads my next choice. And I allow that feeling of the desire being realized to guide me, not how am I going to do it and it's hopeless and I can't imagine this. But actually, I step fully into if it was realized, what does that feel like? Mm. Your body is your guide. Yes, this is the very important part of desire. And one of the ways I like to describe desire is it's literally the visceral voice of your own essence, or if you like the word soul or spirit, it's the way that part of our nature speaks to us and it speaks to us through our physicality. We feel it physically, uh, whether it's a desire to accomplish something in the world or it's a desire to create a family, like I said earlier, these are things that will wash through our physical being, sometimes purely as a heartache or yearning, and other times really as almost a full ignition, we feel really lit up or switched on by an idea. Mm. Do you have these lit up ideas like all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe every day? <laughs> <laughs> What's beautiful about desires is if we become friends with it, it's like a symphony in our life. And that's why I like to describe each of the desires as a different note or a different song within that symphony. And so depending on what I'm focused on, it's the same desire, for example, like say the desire to contribute. It's I really, really want to support and make a difference in the world for as many people as possible. You know, that's a burning ache in my being. Mm. When I wake up in the morning and I connect with that, I just say, okay, well, what's obvious? What do I need to do to do that today? And then I just do those things. So it's not always that it, there's 50,000 new desires. It's that the true desire, it gets kindled. You put a little bit of wood in that fire, let's say, by acknowledging it and taking a step toward it. I guess there's action that would follow the steps. Absolutely. That's where the action comes in and actually taking action. Yes. And also I feel that much of what you're describing isn't human, it's humanity. We're all experiencing this. It's how we're responding or relating to it. That's, yes. That's the difference. But surely I believe every human being has a desire to grow or a desire to fulfil this life force that's calling us and also to contribute you know in the many different types of desires that come and also on a natural world level to survive to eat to drink to sleep exactly and the other last thing i want to say about this which i know you know because you've been to africa <laughs> with me and a few other times and there's something really potent and powerful when we go to nature and we suddenly realize wow i belong to life like there's a sense of belonging that happens out in the wilderness mm -hmm. and so there's a moment of understanding that even though you don't know what's coming in your future for example there's a sense of belonging to life and then a relaxation into the listening mm -hmm. of what is it that would light me up and believe it or not I really feel that there's something beyond my intelligence anyways that is orchestrating all of us in this incredible symphony that we can't understand. So someone way around the world could be suddenly lit up by one thing and then someone's way somewhere else. And all of these little dots is the forward momentum 
of creating solutions that are going to help lead us forward. When you find those dots connecting, do you just feel, uh-huh, like, yes, or <laughs> you see this happening? I do see it happening. And sometimes it takes a long time. Maybe it's something that's been, you've done, say my first book I wrote in 2003. Mm-hmm. And it's more relevant today, 17 years later than it was even then. So we don't always know why we have an impulse to create something, to offer something, to move towards something. And yet we do it. And then maybe later it becomes very, very clear. Like maybe you didn't know that going to Africa, you know, when we went together that first time, that it was going to lead to you being where you are today, but you just knew that you had to do it. And now looking back, you're like, wow, there was this amazing intelligence that was weaving all this incredible synchronicity into my life. Absolutely. I literally do see how the dots connected there. What inspired you to bring together the group? of women to go so deeply, so profoundly into nature, such a unique way and such a unique experience. I had my own personal transformations. I witnessed many from the other women. We still rave about it today. That was three, four years ago now. What brought about this deep nature connection? I mean, we had seven days out in the wild digging holes to go to the toilet <laughs> and, and uh, what was it? remember around the fireplace at night and we would take it in turns to you know night watch yep. and just not showering <laughs> the whole week and really what inspired that profound and sleeping with the lions <laughs> yes so I mean it's a deep question I have always been very connected to nature. I grew up on First Nation reservations in Canada, so there's a lot of wilderness. And my mom would just shoo us out of the house. So pretty much the whole day I'd be out in the woods playing or down by the river playing. And so I had a lot of time in nature. And then when I almost died many years ago, one of the things that healed me was to be in nature. So there was a return to nature in that moment. But specifically around Africa, a friend of mine who lived, he was from Swaziland and he was leading African safaris for years. He invited us, my husband and I, to go. And I went and I just fell in love with South Africa, but I hated the experience Mm. (laughs) because there were so many people. We were 25 or so people. Um, Every moment was filled with either a workshop thing or something was always happening. There was gobs and gobs and gobs of way too much food and the way that we interacted with animals was fear-based. Um, I thought baboons were the most terrifying thing because I was told that was true. Um, and it felt, although I liked being in Africa, it felt off. About a few weeks after that trip, I knew I wanted to go back, but not in that style. And so then I somehow came across Anna Breitenbach's documentary and I could not not watch it. And I had a very tight schedule. I was working 20-hour days for a launch. And I didn't really have the time to watch a full hour. But I did. And I couldn't stop crying and crying and crying. And then I walked over to my husband and made him watch it. So I watched it a second time and cried more. And we looked at each other and we're like, we have to go. And I instantly emailed and I said, um, I want to go on the trip. And it was a full year later. And they said, oh, we're really sorry. It's sold out and there's a waiting list of 50 people. And I wrote back, I'm like, that's nice, but I know I'm on that trip. So I'm meant to be on that trip. And I just go on and on, right, with my passion. I'm just, I know I have to be on this trip. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're really sorry, but you're at the bottom of the list. And, but we, you know, we'll, we'll keep you posted. 
I swear, 10 days later maybe, I get an email saying, well, two people pulled out. If you want the spot, you have to pay in full today in the two spots. And I was blown away. I didn't actually have the money at the time, but I just somehow scrounged what I could and did it. And uh, years later, when I became friends with Anna, I discussed that moment. She goes, yes, I went to my colleague and I said, I don't want you to pick the people on top of the list. I want you to pick the people that feel like the right match. And so all my emails I'd been sending with all this passion, it just hit their hearts. And so that's how that happened. And so it was amazing. And then I went with Anna. I loved her to bits and could not stand the human beings. <laughs> so, so I was like, no. And, and so I had a big talk with her about it. And I said, look, I want to do this, but I want to curate the group. I wanted only women because when there's men and women, there's all these weird sexual dynamics mm. and I want to work with you specifically. So it all worked out and that's how it all started. And I've led quite a few trips since then. And it's mm. just really what I understood on those trips is my life changed forever. When you really get that you belong to life, it's an unshakable knowing it just stays with you. And then I don't know, my soul loves Africa, Jenny. There's something that comes so alive there. So it's kind of selfish too because I want to go back. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it all started. Yeah, you want to go back and you want to take groups of, small groups of women small into, groups. into the midst of the wilderness where we can be yep. silent and still yes. and listen to the voices of the animals. Yes. And that's what I experienced. <laughs> Absolutely. I wanted to share quickly on this last trip that we went on. The very last year, I ran two back to back. Mm -hmm. And it was the second to last night in the wilderness. And I woke up from a really amazing dream to the sound of a roaring lion. You know, when they in the distance are like, whoa, right? In the mm -hmm. distance, you hear it and it just like goes into your bones. And I just sent a message going, wow, and just like so much just respect for this being. And it kept coming closer. And closer all night just closer and closer and closer so that was amazing and so in the morning when we moved the guides and I had a quick chat and uh, we realized the lines were pretty close but we didn't know where they were and as we were leaving to go to our next camp we actually were going to have to cross the path where they were but they didn't tell any of the participants they didn't even tell me <laughs> so we just were told take your packs off and come with us so we took all our packs off and we went with them and we're kind of crawling along and then suddenly we became meerkats and we would pop up and we were literally 20 feet from these massive lions the size of small horses. And there were two of them, two males. And it was so transformative that I couldn't stop crying for hours, almost like looking at God in a sense, because it was just an experience, I think, that's quite embedded in our DNA that these ancient creatures would have had a lot of our respect from their, their power and their presence. What does lion heart mean to you? Mm, well, see, that's a perfect story. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> well, let's weave it into the whole of our conversation. So, you know, with my TED Talk and the, my life's work and these things around desire and then these trips to Africa, there's one element that is woven throughout all of that and it it's summarizes what I think the lion heart is. Mm -hmm. And it's the word daring. And I think if you remember from the TED Talk, I say, mm -hmm. we are all descendants of those who dared. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that having a lion heart right now is crucial because there's so much apathy. 
-hmm. And it is through apathy that we've gotten where we are. And so we need to wake up and roar that internal roar in our own heart and dare, dare to lean into our desires, dare to discover them, dare to actually take a step toward them, dare to show up fully alive every day and just be amazed that we get to be here for another day. In the beginning when you spoke about facing your mortality and it's kind of coming back there as well, that is really powerful. Yes. Dare sometimes to defy what you're told by authorities. Mm. And right now we're in a very crucial time where, you know, obviously we're working together as a global family. Mm. And I want us to dare a little more. I want us to dare into getting more connected to the earth and grounded. I want us to dare to self-regulate so that we move ourselves out of stress into a feeling of being centered. I want us to dare to understand that we matter and every choice we make and don't make has impact on everyone else and that we start consciously getting excited about making those choices and how we get to contribute, even if it's in the smallest way, just purely by the state of being in which we carry ourselves. And the we is so important here because this global transition, this is something we're all experiencing. Every single human being is experiencing something in different ways. There's a different experience. There's also a different reality. You know, there are some parts of the world having very different experiences to different parts of the world. So it really is about coming together in unity, isn't it? Absolutely. And unity doesn't mean that we all have to think alike. So that's, I think, maybe the last piece that I want to bring out is that we do have very unique and individual callings and they're not the same. And we need to, the reason I want you to marinate in your own essence <laughs> is so that you can celebrate that uniqueness, take a stand for it through your sovereignty. Mm. And with that profound respect of yourself, it gets extended out so that there's space for all the different ways in which we choose to show up as a human family. And it's going to be very different. And the differences must be there. They must exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, there'd be nothing to unite with. Exactly. <laughs> and so nature, you know, as you remember from Africa, nature is a great teacher in that there's all these different species mm -hmm. and they're all living in that same space and they weave, they're interdependent and it's incredible to watch how they respect each other and how they move and how they, it's just something that I think we, as on more the denatured side of humanity, could really use to just watch watch how nature does this thing called unity mm, so naturally i want to tell you a joke saida because i think you really like this one okay <laughs> <laughs> and it, it made me think of it when you spoke about the dream when you heard the line roar so it's slightly different but a woman she falls asleep and she begins to dream and she sees this hunk of a man over on the other side of, of her room and then he starts to come towards her and he comes closer and closer and then he is so close that she can feel his breath on her. And she just looks at this man and she says, what will you do to me? And he looks at her and he says, lady, this is your dream. Ah, I like it. <laughs> Fantastic. A little bit, man. 
little bit like, you know, desire is a path for us. Uh, desire it is, is to follow our dreams, to dreaming, desire. I mean, making those dreams real, <laughs> whatever they exactly whatever they mean to the individual. And another thing, there is just one more thing I want to bring. You often use the term limbic resonance yes. in your work. Can you speak about that a little bit? And also domestication, the wild nature, how does it all fit together? Okay, so let's start with limbic resonance and what it is. I first learned about this through a book called A General Theory of Love, which was written by three medical doctors in the psychiatric type field and it was three generations of them so they were all looking at the science of love if you can imagine that mm. and one of the things they realized is that the mammalian brain the circuitry of the mammalian brain is actually an open circuit so what that means is we as mammals when we're born we need close contact with our mothers to learn how to breathe digest sleep, etc., like all the functions that we take for granted, a baby doesn't know and learns through limbic resonance. It's through the nervous system and body of the mother or the caregiver informing non-verbally the body of the child. Now, this also then continues throughout life. So we see, say, an example with old folks' homes, the people who are in there do much, much better when they have a pet because that's another mammal and then that circuitry can get completed. So it's very important to have contact with other mammals as a mammal. So that's mm -hmm. very interesting and it doesn't have to be your species. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's great about that is that, just as I was saying earlier, if you cultivate a certain state of being, it doesn't matter what you say or do, it's the state of being that will impact the environment. So you might saying nice things, but inside you're very agitated. It's the agitation that's going to flow into the space that you're in and impact it. You could ha be having a slightly off day, but in general, you're a person that's very centered and grounded and benevolent, and that will predominantly be what is in the space. So you can influence change purely by your state of being. When we understand that and we are in leadership positions, so we're parents, we're partners, we're whatever moment in our life we're leading something, we can understand that the majority of what we're leading is actually through our embodiment, what we currently already embody within us. And that's limbic resonance. So I find that really powerful and a great tool that we all can use. In terms of domestication and wildness, I prefer to use the word naturalness sometimes than wildness because people sometimes associate wildness with a half-crazed person that's running madly around. Mm -hmm. But once you've been to the wilderness, you understand that it's very wild, but they don't behave that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, most of the animals conserve their energy. They're, they're just being very, they're not thinking about anything. They're not comparing themselves. They're just being, and that's wildness. Mm -hmm. So naturalness is wildness beingness is wildness mm -hmm. domestication is this mandate or superimposed ideal that we have to live up to that actually pulls us out of our center pulls it out of our naturalness and then we start to adopt these strange mannerisms believing that that's the way to be accepted that's the way to be loved that's the way to belong and so that's why I talk about it a lot is we need to at some point release 
a lot of the social conditioning, not the good stuff. Like stopping at a stop sign is a good thing. Mm. Uh, being polite and helping an elderly person, that is a good thing. There's a lot of good things about some of the social conditioning. But there's a lot of it, the, the part of it that I argue against is the part that makes you doubt and distract you from your own innate nature. So that's the part that I confront with my work and it try my best to invite people back into, which is why the wilderness is such an effective tool for doing that. That is so beautiful. And I'm just a perfect closing here because I feel like I've gone back to my initial experience of your dancing live this morning. <laughs> There's no words when you dance, but there is a, an energy, a resonance that can bring out that aliveness in other people. And so it's not about teaching as much as it is about being and living. Yes. That is so beautiful. Now, I am going to include links. We've covered a few things today. I'm going to cover your first book that you said you wrote in 2003 that's more relevant today. So I'll pop that in, your book Desire. Also, the link to your TED Talk. Uh, which I recommend people watch two or three times because when I watched it for a second time, there was more. There was, I realized there's so much being said in such a short amount of time. And anything else <laughs> I can share? Maybe. Well, right now, I think, I don't know when this is going out, but right now there is that Facebook group that is free and it's open to everybody, even kids and anybody, doesn't matter thriving during challenges. And that's a, just a great place to come and actually there's a resource of practices and I think I'll just leave it up even if we yes. end up moving on I'll just leave it up so it houses all of those practices that people can go and access um, to start that centering and grounding process well I was thinking about that actually on my walk early this morning about the Facebook group and then changing times and in one or two years we are I mean personal growth or there's always sort of challenges in life. And so what you're teaching in that group is actually always relevant. It may not be because yes. of global crises, but there's always things happening in our personal lives that are giving us opportunity to grow. So having some of the, watching those videos for 21 days could actually serve a purpose all the time. <laughs> That's what I was thinking anyway. Yeah, I agree. I may eventually, I haven't done it now, but I may eventually download them all and put them in a playlist on my YouTube channel. So if you want to include the YouTube channel, that's fine as well. There's a lot of resources as well on that channel. And then there's your website. Dareyourdesire.com. We've got quite a few wonderful resources. Thank yeah. you so much, Saida for your embodiment of the lion heart. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just want to really thank you, Jenny, because this is a very important message. And I also want to really thank the listeners because there's so many things we could listen to and sort of be here right now and really receive the transmission of lion heart on a regular basis, I think is very, very needed and powerful. Thank you for spending your precious time listening to this podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed. You can find some helpful links related to the topics we have discussed, download some freebies and join our Lionheart community by visiting our website, lionheartworkshops.com. To view this specific podcast blog, click on podcast at the main menu. Please also share this with friends, hit subscribe and leave us a review so that these ideas can continue to spread. Those pretty little stars help others to find us. 
The Lionheart Podcast and Lionheart Online Workshops is an online platform and community designed to enhance your health, natural and spiritual well-being. Until next time, please think about how you will embody your Lionheart and reach your highest potential as the amazing human being that you are.